Hello, everyone. My name is Shalonda with Yamoja Speaks, and this is the collaboration 31 Interviews, 31 Perspectives, discussing everything to deal with mental health as well as the foster care system. And we're doing a collaboration with Talk It Out, Alexis Smith. In this episode, we're going to talk to someone that recruits foster parents and understanding what it takes to become a great foster parent, what qualities are meant to be a good foster parent, what qualities do they look for when they're recruiting, and just the inside details to behind the scenes of being someone who looks for the people who takes care of the youth for the next generation. So I will allow the person I'm speaking with to, in to introduce herself. Hello, Ms. Zena. Hello, Shalanda. So I am Zena Klipchak Gersha, and I am the recruiter, as you said, and licensing specialist for Presley Ridge and our treatment foster care program in Cleveland. Okay. That's nice to hear. Um, so I just want to get some background information about the organization that you work with and like how long you've been working with them. So can you just tell me some background information? Yes. So Presley Ridge has been around for over 180 years. So they've been around for a long time and their headquarters are in Pittsburgh. Um, we have multiple locations. And we offer multiple service lines. But in Cleveland, we have a treatment foster care program. We have a Bridges program for foster youth uh, that are 18 to 21 years old that have aged out of foster care. So that's another like safety net for them. And then we also have a community program where we're working with families um, and supporting them so that, you know, they don't have to um, relinquish their children into the foster care system. So I've been with Presley Ridge in this role for almost 15 years. Um, I have a master's of social work from Cleveland State University. And prior to that, I worked in a completely different field. I worked as a travel consultant for many years. And through the personal experience of having adopted my own two children um, from birth, it just really did impact my life profoundly. And I literally went to school to become a licensed social worker so I could help people, um, you know, grow their families and, and adopt children and, and all of that. And then what I found was that there was such a need. I learned all about the foster care system. And that was just by by accident, really, I didn't know anything about that. I thought I was going to be an adoption worker. And then I saw that the need was in foster care. So that's really where that propelled me. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So you said that there was a need in foster care. So when you first got introduced to foster care, because I remember when I got um, put in foster care, I had no idea what foster care even was at the age of 10, not a single, single clue. And so when you kind of mention it, I think that more people don't really understand what it is or don't know the inside details. And so could you explain what you didn't know about foster care? And then when you were introduced, how it opened your eyes? 
I think really it was just a complete um, ignorance and um, being completely naive that that there were all these children in dire need of a stable and loving families, right? So I didn't. I was just yeah. really unaware of that completely, and so. I just knew there are people with infertility issues that, that would love to adopt children, right? When there are people mm. that are able to raise their own. But here you have this whole other system of children coming into care for lots of reasons, right? And not enough people, right? Not enough people um, that are really committed, right? To, to um, taking a child into their home and, and caring for them as their own, right? For yes. whether it's a short period of time or a long period of time, because as you know, we don't know how long that time will be. Exactly, right. You can be, you know, fostering someone for a week or for 10 or 15 years of their lives. And then of course, after they age out or become adopted, they usually come back. It's a life time type of connection that you want to at least make with someone and become a family. So absolutely. So what is the process of becoming a foster or adoptive parent? So the process um, actually can be completed as as quickly as uh, 10 weeks, right? I mean, that's contingent on a parent's, you know, desire and willingness, you know, to, to get it done um, and their availability to do what they need to do. So um, it is quite involved. Uh, they will have to participate in a home study assessment. Uh, they will have to complete 36 hours of training, pre-service training. Uh, they'll have to do background checks and that goes for everyone in the household. Um, those background checks include BCI and FBI checks. Um, we check lists uh, for alleged perpetrators of child abuse and neglect. We're checking the registry for um, potential sex offenders, driving records, just every check that can be done, right? Because we want to make sure that this is a safe home and, um, you know, to take our children in. And the other thing for all the household members will be that everybody will have to have a physical um, and a TB test as well. They'll need to get a fire inspection of their home and a safety audit of their home. And uh, there'll be also financial disclosures that you have to submit. And we can get into this. Um, I'll get into more detail when we talk about the qualifications, but just so you can have an understanding of the process right now. These are all the things you'll have to do. You'll have to, parents will have to provide references. Um, that would include adult children, family members, uh, friends, any previous foster agencies they may have been certified with or or any kind of uh, professional references where they may have worked with children. Those can be useful too. And then finally, once they've done all those things, they'll participate in the home study assessment. And that involves a series of meetings and interviews with all the household members. About three to four times you would be meeting with an assessor. And at least one of those meetings would take place within the home. And so those uh, assessment interviews, they're very, um, they're very intimate conversations. We get into a lot of very personal, detailed information. So applicants have to be very comfortable and forthcoming about providing 
information. And this is all done for the purpose of assessing whether or not they're going to be a good fit, um, you know, to take youth into their home, right? And, and they should also right. be assessing whether or not they think this is what they want to do, right? So we mm-hmm. take this assessment, right? It's very, it's very serious, right? And so actually, once they do all that, and they submit all their paperwork and do all the licensing requirements and participate in all that, then, you know, we would then go ahead and issue their license if in fact they qualify. Okay, that sounds um, pretty elaborate, actually. Yeah. I always wanted to know what goes into the process of vetting out certain people and what we can do that's a little bit tweaked, a little bit, so that we can make sure that the safety of the youth is maintained. Um, and that means that all of us have to have a conversation, what is working and then what we would like to implement. So that's an elaborate process. But you mentioned the training that um, a new foster parent would go through. And I just remember, you know, when I was talking on panels, one thing that they had me do was sit inside one of the trainings for new becoming foster parents Uh and adoptive parents. And so they got to interact with me as a teenage girl and kind of explain you know, what my life entails in, you know, the dramas of teenage years, right? Mm -hmm. And so what kind of training would the new foster parents go through? So at Presley Ridge, we actually provide, um, our training is 36 hours of pre-service training. And that does include first aid and CPR, which is required. But what's special about our training is it is nationally recognized and it's evidence-based. So in fact, other agencies do purchase Presley Ridge's pre-service training um, because it teaches proven parenting strategies, right? To use with kids that have been impacted by trauma. So, you know, it's a very good training, evidence-based training, and it covers all the things, right? All the grief and loss and trauma that our children have experienced, and then the ways in which parents can interact with our children and give them what they need. So I've actually, one thing that parents have come away with that have done this pre-service training, even if they don't finish, Shalanda, even if they don't make it to the end game and they don't get certified, they all say, I wish I had this training before I became a parent with my own children because they really learned some practical good skills, even just down to, you know, valuable communication skills. So yeah, really good training. Okay. I like the the CPR and the introduction to like trauma, because I think that's definitely important. My friends and I talk about, do they get trained for mental health issues? Do they understand that we might have some behavior issues and, you know, we have the, the trauma. So going to probably slowly break down that wall and allow us to be vulnerable enough to speak out of what we've kind of endured. And so it's it's a lot of different things, but we're always just asking ourselves, like, I hope that they have that type of training, but I would always love to like sit inside of the room to see what that training looks like. Uh, but maybe one day, I don't know, maybe one day I can get an invitation to see what that looks like because I, I find it fascinating. Oh, I would love to welcome you to our next pre-service training. How's that? Yes, absolutely. I love it. Yes, for sure. Have you ever invited 
either a former or a current foster youth to kind of sit inside the training or kind of see or interact with the foster parent during that process? So actually, I have invited uh, former foster youth that have aged out of the system to come back and, and do a panel with my parents. And that's kind of, that's wonderful, really, because then you have prospective parents, right, applicants, um, able to interact with the kids and ask them questions, you know, like looking for in a, you know, supportive foster parent, or what does your ideal foster parent look like? What would you expect from them? So then these kind of, you know, interactions can take place with that panel. Or sometimes I just have very strategic questions because I want to make sure that the important things get answered. And so, mm -hmm. yes, I've definitely done that. And sometimes you lose touch, but the, the kids that you're able to stay in touch with, they're so happy to come back and do that. And they're happy to keep it real and tell people what they need. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I, that's what we need. We need for people to be completely honest and authentic and say what, you know, because there's other kids after us. And so we're not speaking and advocating for ourselves anymore. We're speaking and advocating for the next generation to make sure that they have the next generation of parents to mm -hmm. ensure that they, they're well taken care of, they're safe, and they're provided for. So absolutely. Can you know what's interesting about that too, Shalanda, what you I'm sure you you know as you you know have that personal connection, but not so surprising that when they're asked those questions, right? Like, what do you look at parent that all the foster youth will just say it's it, it's really just so simple, like you know, just that we want to be treated just like you treat your own children. We just want that same mutual respect and to be treated the same. We want to really be a part of your family. And and kids know, you know, you can't fake it. They know when you're real, right? They know when yes. you're real. And that's it. They just want you to be real with them. That's what I hear when I have that panel. Yes. Because my friends and I, we always talk about like the, the foul that they get. We always discuss the foul. And we always like, say this is somebody else's words written about us but when do they actually have conversations with us to really get to know who we are based off the conversation that they have with us and getting to know us and our experience from our perspective um, because when you read a file based off somebody else's words you're really not getting to know the, the, the child, the youth, the teenager you're yeah. getting to know someone else's opinion of them Yes. And I always um, would love to say to foster parent or prospects that, you know, you have to sit down and get to know the individual youth that you're working with, the individual child that yes. you're working with, and not just based off what's in the file, but listening to them because they want to be heard. They want to be understood. Absolutely. And you know what, what I tell my parents is, you know, really, you're going to look at that initially, just so you have some background. But then we say, put that away. Don't don't fixate on that. And it's just like what you said. Get to know that child. Talk to that child. You don't even know if half of that stuff in there has been taken out of context or what the different perspectives are. So it's interesting you said that because we really do talk about that. And I have foster parents that will tell you, I don't even look at it because it's not important. Right. Yeah. Because, I mean, I think it shapes people 
perspective of, of when I come into your home, if you've read that I, let's say, got kicked out of school because my behavioral issues, um, and you didn't really understand that I was picked on. So, you know, if you don't have the backstory of me being picked on for a number of years. And then for the final time, I stood up for myself and said, no longer will I be picked on. So you don't have everything. You don't have the whole story. So it's, it's written down in black and white, but it's not really talked about that. I told someone my personal business and they took it and, you know, ran with it. Right. And so, you know, friends fall out in middle school and high school and your business get put out there and people talk and that destroys because that's their world as a teenager, your friends and your, your perception that's your whole entire world as a teenager and you want to fit in. And so those little things get added in and you really have a stigma of not wanting people to know that you're a foster youth, not being with your parents and in this situation. And if that gets out, it's like, it turns the world upside down. And exactly. And another thing I wanted to mention on that same vein is just because a child had a certain behavior or something happened, right? I mean, stuff happens all the time with with kids every day, but it may not even be an issue for a particular parent. Like, that's not my hot button at all. Like, that would even upset me, right? So that, that's why you need so many different homes because that's really how I recruit because you're going to have different parents have different strengths and are able to tolerate different types of behaviors, right? So if you could have that kid that, you know, they maybe they're really angry. They still have to work through a lot of anger. And, and there's parents that they're really cool with that. Like, you know, I, I can work with that. I understand where that anger is coming from. I can help them release that anger in a healthy way. That, that doesn't bother me, right? And somebody else says, whoa, I, I can't deal with that. But you know what? I'm happy to work with that teenager that's struggling with substance abuse or whatever, because I know something about that. You know, my dad was, you know, an alcoholic or what have you. I mean, there's so many dynamics that factor in and there's just so much that we have to look at to, to, to make good matches and find good parents. Yeah, absolutely agree. And I'm, I'm happy that you uh, mentioned that some people can handle it and some people can't. And, you know, it's based off their personal experiences so what have they gone through to allow themselves to be able to handle certain things and look at it and say that maybe this person and this child just want attention how can we give them the positive attention without having to do it in the most negative way so eliminating you know these issues over here because I give them the attention that they want and that they're asking for that's it a hundred percent and that's what we talk about in our pre-service training Okay. Yeah. Good. Every, every behavior is to fit a need. So certainly a lot of our kids have negative behaviors because they've learned them to survive. I mean, those behaviors, you know, for example, if you have a child that's hoarding food, that was a survival behavior. They did that because they learned that if they hoarded food, they could eat or their siblings could eat for the next few days. So that was just a learned behavior to fill a need that they no longer need in the foster home. Right. So right. then we help them realize you're, you're safe here. There's plenty of food here. You don't need to do that. And I'll show you that because there's snacks all over the place and we eat three times a day or what have you. I mean, so, right. 
just an example, right? It's, it's, that's what it is. You know, they're just negative yes. things. They learn to survive and they, the foundation of Pressy Ridge is re-ed. And we believe that you can re-educate re these kids, um, healthier ways to manage their behaviors. Okay. That's uh, nicely said, nicely said. So what are the qualifications um, to becoming a foster or adoptive parent? So, I mean, I think I want to, you know, we'll go over the qualifications, but I think first and foremost, Shalanda, I want to say that you really need to be a person that comes at this, that genuinely cares for kids, right? You know, yeah. you want to be a champion for our kids. You want to profoundly impact their lives and make a difference. So if you don't have that real genuine heart to do this, you absolutely have to have that, right? So if you have that desire and you share that mission and you wanna make a difference, then you just have to have the space in your home, right, to do it. And you have to have certain qualifications. So another thing is, you know, you need to have the time to devote to them, right? So I look at that very closely too. You know, if you're working, say you're a single mom and you're working a shift that, that's not a family-friendly shift and you don't have others or support, then that's not going to work, right? Because a, the hugest part about this is you need to be invested. You need to be available because you're going to be working on building a relationship with this child. So you got to be available, right? You've got to have the time to devote to them. Um, you have to be in good health. Right. So and when we say good health, I mean, you know, everybody has issues here and there. You might have a medication that you have to take, but, you know, it appropriately monitors your health so that you have the energy uh, that you need to take care of kids. So, you know, those of us that are parents, we know what that involves. Right. It's a oh, big yeah. responsibility. <laughs> so you have to be healthy enough to take them to their doctor's appointments and then your home has to pass a fire inspection and a safety audit. And there's a number of things that you need to do there. But just for example, you would need things like smoke alarms, carbon monoxide detectors, you know, first aid kit, you know, fire escape plan. So there's a detailed list, right? But basically have the room for that child, right? So that they have their own room if that's possible, or they are even able to share a room with your biological child if the space is appropriate and the ages are appropriate. Um, but it's always nice for them to have their own space when that's possible. Right. Um, another qualification is financial stability, right? So what does the state of Ohio look at there? They're looking to see that foster parents have income that's sufficient to meet the bills of their household, right? So there's no magical number. You don't have to have make X amount of dollars, but you do need to demonstrate that the income you have is sufficient to pay your bills. Why? Because you cannot rely on the stipend that you're paid that's there to take care of the child's needs, right? So this is foster care and our children come and go. So the money that you get is to take care of them, right? So you have to be sure that you're you know, able to take care of your own bills prior to being close with you. And also, you know, we want to make sure that our children are safe. 
we're checking, we're doing those thorough background checks. So uh, you cannot have any of the prohibitive offenses on your background. Um, certainly no convictions related to any type of harm or exploitation of children. Um, and the other thing is that at Presty Ridge, we, we do what's called treatment foster care, therapeutic foster care, right? So that's a whole other level. It's, it's not just traditional foster care where you're providing you know, food, clothing, and shelter, right, and safety, but it's it's therapeutic foster care. So that means that, you know, we're doing a lot more and our training is geared towards that, right? Meeting their needs just as if they may have been in a residential or hospital setting, but instead we're doing it in your home, the foster parents' home, right? So we want those parents to have a certain level of you know, parenting experience outside of just that treatment. So we would require five years of parenting experience um, to qualify for treatment level. If you don't have that five years, then over the course of time, they would obtain additional training and experience that would then qualify their license to be upgraded to treatment level. Okay, they would just need more experience to qualify. But if you meet that five years, then that's good. But you can see that it's a whole other level, you know, of care treatment level. And and it's it's the foundation of this type of work that we do with kids is that the foster parent is the lead change agent in that child's life. So we're saying we're going to place this child in your home. Um, they may may have a mental health diagnosis, okay? Mm-hmm. But certainly, they are feeling grief and loss. And yes. at the minimum, every child in foster care experiences grief and loss. And so we're saying, instead of them being in a, you know, residential facility, we know that these children, they're going to thrive in a normal family environment. I mean, they're going to do much better. But you, the foster parent, you're the parent, right? You're that that person with them every day and, you know, nurturing them, helping them with their homework, helping them with other issues. So it's about them. And just knowing that we're there to support you, right? So Proceed Ridge staff is there to support that parent. I mean, you know, we have on call, we're available for you 24 seven, but it's really about you, the parent, because you're that person that's caring for them on the daily. Absolutely, right. Cause you can definitely notice the changes of their behavior and then it requires you stepping into it and saying like, hey, let's have a conversation, but you have to have an inviting home. Right. I feel comfortable with being able to talk to you about anything. You know, you got to set a certain environment um, and space. And so in order for me to even feel comfortable and vulnerable with you to say, hey, you know, I have been acting out because this issue and I don't know what to do with it. And I think that even when you have your own kids, you have a, a level of being open with them. Right. And so. You're listening to them. You don't just lash out and say, well, with your own biological kids, you're having behavior issues, so get out, bye. You're not telling your biological kids a lot of these things. You're kind of working it out and figuring out what's going on. What's happening at this school that's troubling you? What relationships 
are troubling you. And then you're trying to, you know, build up a solution for your own biological child. So I think in the same way, it requires that emotional stability to be able to connect with foster you in that same way as well. And so Mm -hmm. there is going to be resistance on the behalf of the foster youth, but it's about persistence on the foster parents' perspective and knowing that there's a way to break through. You just have to find out how to do it. Yes. And that is exactly what we talk about in our training. It's like, we just really like to keep it real. These are the real, you know? Exactly. Yes. And I, I definitely believe like everyone, all of us is not exempt from trauma. We all have trauma. And, you know, the youth, maybe they weren't taught how to deal with it. So as I told you before, I don't apologize for my kids' emotions. I just don't. They have emotions like everyone else. They're, they're toddlers, though. So they're learning how to express that. So they get out their frustration, however that is, which is kicking, screaming, yelling. And then after that tantrum is over, now we're going to understand why you were doing that, what's wrong. And I think that even if you could be 15 or 16 or even 35 years old, if you haven't been given like the language to express yourself, the space to feel comfortable, the... the tools to kind of go through, you really don't know how to express that emotional trauma. And I think we see that in our adult lives every day, don't we? I mean, that's a great example. You see adults that don't know how to handle their anger because they've never been equipped to do so. Right. Very true. Yeah. So it's, it's, it goes the same way for youth as well. So it's like teaching them how to, you know, speak up for themselves, how to control their emotions, how to deal with it, how to turn that into something that is passionate. Yes. And, and for me personally, I use my poetry or my writing skills to uh, write letters and get my emotions out. And so that was, you know, therapeutic for me because I was able to see what I was going through. And then yeah. I was there, number one, able to give it to someone. So I sent letters to certain people and they couldn't interrupt me. They couldn't denounce what I was saying. And that allowed me to purge all the emotions that I was feeling and just get it out there to whoever I needed to get it out to and feel emotionally better because I was able to release it. So I think it's about giving us, even adults, the tools needed to deal with trauma and not just escape from it. Absolutely. You've got to go through it. And as a child, you want to be able to go through it with a supportive, you know, a supporting adult, right? That understands and knows how to support you. And so that's what it's all about, right? Right. They have to understand it and then they have to know how to support you. And and that's what they're learning with our Presley Rich training. Good, good. So do you have like, um, trauma therapy for the, the foster parents or any type of therapy for the foster parents, because I know that it could be stressful as I got older and having to kind of become a parent myself, it's stressful, you know, being a parent. And so I think to myself, do you kind of facilitate like meetings, uh, monthly meetings when you get together and kind of go through uh, the emotional toll that it might take on foster parents? 
So at some point, you know, over the course of the years, we've had um, parents come together and develop and form support groups for each other. And that's been nice. And that kind of goes off and on, depending on the parents willing or desire to, to do that. But those are very helpful. Also, we do have a therapist at Pressy Ridge and a psychiatrist. Yes, they're there for the children, but certainly if they're having family issues and need family therapy, they're, you know, they're available to do that with the parents and kids. But then we do have um, other resources for parents. Should they want individual, um, you know, therapy, we do have resources for them to engage in that as well. Oh, I like the family therapy. That just, I like that. It's a very useful tool. And for a very short time, I did um, intensive in-home family therapy for a bit. And I all, and the client was always the child, right? That the child was the client, but you know, obviously what did I find? I always found that the family dynamic needed uh, support, right? So uh, the family therapy was always a useful tool in getting everybody reconnected and so that everybody's perspectives could be heard. I just find that very helpful. Yeah, definitely. Because it takes a toll. Like I might be experiencing the same thing as you in terms of the situation, but my perspective and outlook on it totally different from yours, mm-hmm. right? And so mm-hmm. I think it comes down to how we how we endure trauma and what we do to kind of get that out and release it as um, everyone wants to know, you know, how to get a, a young uh, child, but I'm always concerned about the teenagers because like you mentioned earlier in this uh, interview, you wouldn't want them to go to a residential facility or like a group home. And so the measure of what we're trying to do is like prevent this from happening. So getting them access to a foster home and making it more stable. So what do you do and what do you find is the biggest challenge for getting people to get more teenagers in their home? I think um, for one thing, Shalanda, you can never um, force anyone to take a specific age group, right? So I find parents that want teenagers, right? That actually prefer teenagers and they're out there. I have them now in my program. And you know, you have foster parents that certainly they want the younger kids um, and, and everything that that entails, right? But you have plenty of parents that they've raised their children already. They're feeling the empty nest, okay? And really, they're just looking for um, companionship or someone to connect with, or they're done with that baby toddler stage. And so they're out there and they actually enjoy that that age group. So those are the parents. I, I seek them out, right? It's like, where are they? I have young empty empty nesters, right? Or people that have never had children before. And so um, that's fun for them because I think you just have to just try to listen to people and help them with some of the fears that they have of the unknown. But if they can just believe and they remember these particular parents or these particular applicants remember what it felt like to be a teenager. They themselves maybe had 
uh, similar struggles to our teens, right? Um, we work with teens that are pregnant or teenagers that have babies and we have special programs for them. And so I have foster moms that they love that. They're, they're happy to take that teenager in and, and help her learn how to be a good parent to her mm-hmm. child, right? Break that yeah. cycle, okay? So we kind of function from a nurturing parenting model. So so she can help that teenager realize success, like, you know, help her get a job, help her complete high school online while you're teaching her how to nurture her own baby. So it's about that. I think it's like parents that are looking for that companionship. It can be a lot of fun having a teenager, you know, somebody that you can do things with that you both enjoy. And as you mentioned, you kind of understand what type of parent uh, would take in teenagers. You already have like an understanding and background with what to look for. So I'm happy that you at least have that detail. What can potential parents know before signing up? So they should, Shalanda, they need to know that this is a big commitment, right? So parents that have raised your own kids, you know what that entails. And, And this is a child that you're getting to know them, right? You're learning each other's ways and building a relationship and trust. And so naturally that takes time. And so they should expect that. And that coupled with the fact that our kids are grieving, right? They're grieving the loss of their families and that's very real for them. So they need to have compassion and do whatever they can to support that child with that. And that can look like a lot of different ways inviting biological family to uh, the child's birthday party, for example, they, they, they might be hosting or keeping parents up to date on a child's progress in school. So anything like that. And of course, they have to follow the individual case plan of that child. But more often than not, that child is permitted contact with biological family. And so I think to facilitate those relationships with biological family it serves as a win-win because that child sees that and everybody just comes much more invested in one another and in those relationships when we feel like it's one big family working together. So the other thing I'd like them to, to understand and to really think about is that they should know that the more open they are to a wider range of age group or having more than one child placed with them, that would actually be great because it gives you a much greater opportunity to receive placements, right? And to receive placements more quickly. It's especially helpful because if you're in a position to take more than one child, sibling groups are very common and it's very important to keep those sibling groups together. So we really want to do, we wanna invest every effort that we can to keep siblings together. Um, It's the one constant in many of these children's lives. And so keeping them together helps them to feel that family connection that they're longing for. So I always say, I'm hopeful that you have more than one bed available and that you're willing to take sibling groups. And I think you understand a little bit about that yourself, Shalanda, having kind of lived through that a bit. Yes, yes. I I did mention to you that my, it was three of us that was placed together. So I'm happy that we, uh, three of us did not get split up um, for the first couple of years, because that is a difficult process of being completely taken away from your family. Um, But if you have your siblings there, you can kind of lean on each other. So yes, I am a big supporter 
for keeping the family together at least. So before the podcast got cut off, I was basically explaining that my siblings helped me to overcome some things and with my support when I was in foster care as well. So I thank my grandmother for taking us in as a group, as a family. And then I definitely want to give a big thank you to Ms. Vina for doing this interview and shedding light as to what it takes to becoming a foster parent and the support that they get as foster parents as well. Um, and then shedding light that, you know, the support can take on training for how do you deal with traumatized youth and what do you do about your own um, maybe emotional difficulties and challenges that you face as a parent, as a foster parent, and how there might be, you know, a group where you can talk to someone um, and share inside details as foster parent to foster parent. So I love that aspect of foster parenting and becoming a new foster parent as well because you have the support and then if you do want to become a foster parent I say check out Presley Ridge their website information and phone number is in the description box and you know just go look around if you need some assistance some resources it is a great place to start if you have foster youth inside of your home right now and they might need to be connected to resources in a community. I say that that is a great way of starting to get them access to resources, depend, especially depending on how old they are. Um, it can be a great starting point. And if you want to join the conversation with Yamoja Speaks on different social media platforms, we encourage you to go on to our Instagram, start a conversation with us, DM us, check out some photos as well as being on Facebook but check us out and we cannot wait to hear from you all right until next time peace out